From Studio A in Podcast Village, Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C., this is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics with your host and moderator, Justin Russell. And hello out there in Radio Land. It is time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. Although you guys have been hearing about it because the numbers keep going up on our ratings, so we'll take that. Almost as high as the numbers for impeachment. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and uh, thanks for putting that in, too, going early. Uh, joining me in st- I'm your host, moderator, Justin Russell. Joining me in studio, he is the... Former Undersecretary of Commerce for International Trade, Alan Moore. Hello, Alan. Hello, Justin. Uh, directly across from me he is the Bar Certified Attorney in the great state of Maryland and Washington, D.C., former Biden political operative, Dan Lipner. Hello, yeah, Dan. that out. Biden. Biden. Yeah, I mean, would you rather me call you Corn Pop? No, I'm just saying, like, your, your enunciation of the B Biden. in Biden it was, pretty, it was pretty harsh. Oh, oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. Now we're getting yeah, enunciations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Corn pop. I'll call you, you know, I, I mean, I don't know what you want me to do here. Anyways, Richard Bino, author of such great books as America and Politics on the Rocks, joining us from an undisclosed location in Massachusetts. Hello, Richard. Hello. And working is your next call book going to be uh, I, politics shaken not stirred can, on the rocks? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the life and t- life and times of Mitch McConnell. <laughs> uh, you know, everybody's a comedian, and of course, behind the glass in the nerve center, we've got Charlie Bernie filling in for Rob the engineer. Uh, we love Charlie. I love Charlie. I'm Hi, here, Charlie. fellas. I'm here. Thank you. Hey, uh, it's it's been a busy week. If you've been following news with everything going on in impeachment, and for the record, because it, it was pointed out to me that that people are listening to our podcast on Thursday. And we record this on a Tuesday, so then when they hear the the Thursday released podcast, they're kind of like, well, why didn't you talk about this? Well, because for full disclosure, we record this all on a Tuesday, and we probably didn't know about it. But- uh, Hey, we, you didn't know about it. I can see the future. Good luck with that one, Dan. Good luck with that one. <laughs> uh, so anyway, with, with that being said, there's a lot of there's a lot of moving parts going on regarding the uh, impeachment inquiry. Uh, if you listen to our last episode, it, it, there's still a lot going on, and there's still a lot we didn't even touch on that's coming out uh, that that we that may and that may have been more since we recorded this. Uh, but there's other there's other news going on, uh, and there's other situations that we need to talk about, including a uh, report that has come out regarding uh, the global economy. Uh, data is showing that manufacturing has hit a slump. Global exports are falling. Uh, many economists are blaming it on the uh, U.S.-China trade war, but if you listen to the president, especially at his uh, his various press gaggles up in New York during the United Nations General Assembly, uh, we've got him, we've got China on the ropes. We've got uh, we're, everything's making good progress. We're gonna have a great deal with everybody. I'm well, paraphrasing. I, 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 I thought you were going to go with the reason the economy goes up or down is whether or not he's winning or losing in his fights with Congress. The the stock market goes down because people are upset that they're attacking me. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and the impeachment inquiry caused a three hundred point downturn. That's going to be great. Uh, but there's a lot of things going on, and a lot of it are talking about 
uh, drop in consumer goods uh, buying. A lot of consumer good production numbers are down. Uh, Chinese manufacturing has improved, but agricultural exports are down. Uh, many economists are saying that this could be another sign that we are teetering on the beginning of either a major correction or a possible recession. Alan Moore, as the former Undersecretary of International Trade, uh, this seems like it could be telegraphing something, but is it is it not is it necessarily something that we should be putting everything into a savings account now? <laughs> so isn't that the question? Um, people who who concluded at the beginning at, uh, at the beginning of the uh, Trump presidency or after his election, oh my gosh, we have got to get out of the stock market. They missed out on this major rise. Um, and every time that there's a there's an as, uh, assumption or prediction of 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 weakness, and we did have a dip back in January of this year, a not insignificant dip of uh, of almost twenty percent in the Dow. It came roaring back, um, so there was a chance for people to get back in. But who would have wanted to at that time? Um, it, in terms of the stock market, it is it, th- there's weakness all over the world. There's vulnerability all over the world. The attack on the oil facilities in Saudi Arabia was a reminder of the high level of vulnerability that uh, that exists. And uh, if if there was major uh, disruption, some kind of breakout of of uh, of war in the Middle East, stopping oil flows, that would be bigger than anything we're we're talking about here. The U.S.-China trade tensions are not insignificant. But in my mind, they're 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 big with regard to America and China, and that and and that that has impacts uh, on other countries. But other countries are not doing what we're doing, sadly, with regard to China. I say that sadly because we had a chance to 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 have a I think bring a unified front uh, uh, to to China, have more leverage, and probably would have made more progress by this time. Um, so it it's it's fragile. But um, it's. Richard Bino, we historically we've we've seen corrections happen somewhere in the area of about the eight to ten year mark, and we haven't seen a really solid correction, arguably, in the better part of about thirteen, fourteen years. Is is this something that should drive us into concern, or is this something that uh, just we're going to let the we can't predict it and just let the chips fall where they may? I think that's the answer is probably the latter. It's very hard to predict. There are just so many different, um, you know, the vicissitudes of the market. There are so many different circumstances. In terms of how much China actually has an effect, um, my guess is that, you know, it's probably diminutive compared to anything, diminutive compared to anything else. But I will say this, though. Um, you know, I found it very interesting that there was a steel company, the uh, Bio Steel in Louisiana, just had to um, – was recently had to uh, recently had to shut down, and the governor there, a conservative Democrat who was up for re-election, John Bell Edwards, has said that he says it's, he says it's actually the tariffs that he believe, he says is the first reason why the, the plan actually shut down. So, you know, if that's some sort of a warning side that a governor of Louisiana in real in a re-election bid is blaming is blaming this on Trump in a very conservative state, then that does not bode well. From what I've heard, there's about a 30 percent chance that there will be a recession next year, and if there is a recession next year. Um, you know, no president since William McKinley in 1900 has actually been reelected 
during a recession. So my guess is that, you know, don't think Donald Trump understands it's how to get reelected. It's how to get elected and it's how to get reelected. And in terms, but in terms of the economy generally, I don't know how you can, um, you know, necessarily predict what's going to happen. There's just so many different things going on right now. So I would just say, you know, do whatever you're doing right now and, you know, just, just hope that we're not going into a recession. And Rich brings up a huge point as far as the recession coming in on the tail end of uh, 2019, possibly into 2020, uh, you've got a president and Donald Trump that's promoting the strongest economy. I mean, if you look at if you look at the Dow and the markets as that kind of gauge, he's not necessarily wrong. But is this something that the Democrats can capitalize on if they're you know they they were at the helm in the House at least for part of this? Well. For a year, we've been at the helm in the House. Uh, there has only there's only been one election in, in the time being, uh, which is why when I point to the budget deficit, uh, it, we're still working under the all Republican rule budgets. Um, as far as Democrats capitalizing, um, yeah, the Dow looks great for Americans that have their money in the stock market. It's fabulous. Most Americans don't have their money in the stock market. Um, yeah, incomes are up nominally. Unemployment is down huge. Um, <laughs> Thank you for acknowledging the stuff that really matters the most. Right. No, I mean it, it's it, while well, that all all of that is true. Um, the but uh, there, there there's there's lots of um, arguments out there that. The, the the Dow doesn't necessarily reflect what it is for working people on Main Street. Um, the, the incomes, as far as whether or not we're really recording people's how, how much Americans are struggling to survive, um, whether or not the in, inflation is truly marking uh, the the data points for what Americans truly need to survive. Uh, it the, the, these are very very complicated questions, and it's it's sort of it, it's a desire to to put hard data to what is the uh, basically the amorphous question of how comfortable people are and how scared people are about what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. Um, and there there are there's lots of that at least for the American consumers. There's a lot of wariness out there that people for all of this boom time that 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 people are seeing that most Americans, the average Americans, are, 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 are still feeling a struggle. Right, They're still did, feeling worry. How, Democrats have got to be nervous when they start seeing. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, who's kind of drawn it back a little bit about Medi- uh, Medicare for all. Uh, you've got uh, you've got college free college for all coming out of Bernie Sanders. Uh, there's a lot of universal economically expensive programs. They're universally the economic expensive, but the real question is why are those a concern? And th- we're seeing Elizabeth Warren and even Bernie point out that yes, these things do cost money. And Bernie was pretty late to the game. Uh, and he, as far as figuring, but is that something they can sell during the the starting of a possible uh, recession? Again, th- these are two different questions. So the being able to sell and being able to pay for, unfortunately, um, Americans don't necessarily connect the two. Uh, I am, as I would note on this show, I am compl- the person who constantly is complaining about uh, wasteful DOD spending that seems to fall off Republican talking points with 
the exception of now the late John McCain, who used to point out that you know the, these things cost money too. Um, it's the same green dollars that pay for tanks as paying for pay for schools, and average Americans, and it's in excess of a trillion dollars of college debt for average Americans um, that is out there. And there is an increased anxiety that the, the, the things that you need to 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 survive, and not just survive, but thrive. So you, you want to work hard, uh, that Americans believe in that. You want, to, you want to take an opportunity, and you want, and you want to be able to go forward. However, college prices, and this isn't private college. I went to two private schools. I went to both Syracuse and Emory, neither of which were cheap. But I could have gone to right. University of Florida and Florida State for law school, and I still remember thinking to myself, I could have play, paid for three years right. of law school at Florida State on my credit card. Right. It was, it was $3,000 a year in tuition. Right. But needless to say, Emory was significantly more expensive. And those are the stepping stones for a better life for everyone. And ev- almost every piece of data suggests education is the key. Right. But the question is, when you sitting on that kind of debt... This is the the housing starts and and new houses, the starter houses. People aren't building them because people don't have because th- those youngsters with the college debt don't have the money to right. buy them. But Rich Rubino, I mean, Dan does bring up good points here, but the, the fact still remains is. Are voters going to be cognizant of that when they go to the voting booth? A lot of voters, particularly outside of the major urban areas, are worried about. You know, am I putting food on the table? Am I being able to afford the food? Do I have a roof over the house, and am I able to afford the house? Yeah, well, first, just a quick thing. I think there were, there were a couple in the Republican Party, the Libertarian wing, that talked about the defense budget. Uh, one of them would be probably Ron Paul. The other would probably be Rand Paul. But you're right, it is very limited. Um, in, terms of the, in terms of the issue, you know, this is where we're kind of – where I think there's a disconnect between the kind of – I guess you would call it what Trump would call the Washington elite and the folks that are on – social media all the time and have these debates about politics, about conservative versus liberal, and see everything in these ideological boxes. I think you're right when you talk about the pe- people who are worried about, as, um, as George W. Bush said, about putting food on your family. Um, <laughs> you know, the folks that are really, that are they're actually worried about day-to-day things, they're the people that aren't necessarily ideological. They're the people that are going to be voting on what's best for, you know, essentially kitchen table issues. The people that, for example, in places like Michigan, who may be socially conservative, but on issues like trade, on issues like economics, might be more might be more social, more, more fiscally, uh, might be more fiscally populist. I think this actually is a populist wave in this country right now. But I think that um, you know these are the people that are just more worried about the, that are more worried about you know so, that are more that are definitely worried about college debt. And someone like Bernie Sanders comes along and says, "I'm going to wipe out your college debt." I mean, how is that not something that you're going to be sympathetic to? Just like when Andrew Yang comes out and says. You know, there's going to be a there's going to be uh, there's going to be a thousand dollars that you're going to get from that you're going to get essentially from the government with no strings attached. I think someone's going to someone who's you know in middle America is going to look at that and say, you know, that directly that benefits me. They're not looking at these kind of ideological um, basis to to base their votes on. So yes, I think when you the more you can promise somebody, I mean that's why politicians do that. It's very rare. I mean, it's not like you know, it's very, when the last politician who really who would come out there and say. Um, that he wa- that he wasn't going to do anything for you was probably someone like you know in the Democratic Party anyways someone like Fritz Hollings when he ran in '84 he said what I'm going to do for you he said I'm going to establish a draft for he says I support the draft and I support raising the retirement age you know what he got about three percent in New Hampshire and then he was gone so you know the better the more you can essentially say you're going to give to the American people the better I think off you are and it's just human nature does, does 
Does passing the NAFTA 2.0 legislation or getting that trade agreement in place critical to maybe staving off disaster, or is that is the holdup part of the reason why we're seeing what we're seeing, Alan Moore? It's a really interesting question. Um, it's not it's not irrelevant what happens to the what's called the USMCA, um, the old NAFTA, um, and. And uh, it's NAFTA plus 10% of modification. I mean, we've talked about that at length, but but there's a time fr- there's a time limit on on this. And if we don't have if we don't get an agreement, then I think we we put ourselves in a very risky place vis-a-vis Mexico uh, and Canada to uh, major massive trading partners. Um, uh, NAFTA is just so critically important to Mexico. We want to talk about immigration? Then let's get rid of NAFTA, close down all those factories at the border, and and say to those people who've got pretty good jobs and a life down in Mexico, sorry, factories closed. Where are you going to go, south or north? Wait, is, is old NAFTA dead while we're waiting for the USMCA to get? So I, it's a, I, I, I think it... I think it's trade is still occurring. Under. I think it's suspended, but I think there's a time. But I think there's a time frame. Oh, I, I, I just, I just so. assumed it, the new one would just displace the old one. Well, it, it only after it's enacted, right but no, now. Right, right, right. But, right, but, right, but I think the old one dies. Right, right now so, we are still trading under the old terms of. I, I, I the think agreement. that's correct. I'm embarrassed to, to say I'm not 100 percent certain of that, but I think that's uh, that that's where we stand. But I also think. That there's a, there's an end date, um, and there's not a lot of stomach right now in the House to to quote help the president out. Um, there are complaint, even though there's plenty of Democrats who are smart enough to realize that we desperately need an in place agreement a, and that b, whatever you thought about the old NAFTA, this is a it is is it is arguably at least as good and almost certainly somewhat better. Are Democrats going to hold back on getting through uh, the USMCA? Putting, you know, because are they holding back because it would give Trump a win if they agree to it? Hard to know. It's it, 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 it's it, you know, how much damage do you want to do to the American economy and potentially to your constituents to make a political point? Has it been passed um, in the Senate? It, it, it has passed both chambers. No, 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 but the the the, the house goes first, um, and 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 that's the. It's not. It's not like there's has uni- he, has universal it support up. in the in the in the Senate among Republicans, but they'll have a fair. They, it, the Senate is not the problem. The House is the question, and 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 some House members are saying. You need more. We need more worker protections. We need more environmental protections. Even though there there are somewhat improved provisions in in the in the new one, it's, they they they're looking for an excuse to say no. Right. And some people opposed the original NAFTA and were critics of it, it like Bernie Sanders was. I mean, it's not it was not uniquely right. um, this. The, yeah, the, this, hi- the history this of this matters. So the reason NAFTA was passed the way it was passed is because this was the. Democrats were going to be a roadblock. So instead of passed like a treaty, it was passed like a law. So it was done with 
huge amounts of Republican support and some Democratic support uh, in both chambers. So there's a little bit of an interesting history there. Normally, treaties go exclusively to the Senate. But because there was interesting politics at play for NAFTA, uh, and this is under the Clinton administration, it was done in, in true bipartisan support. Democratic president, majorities of Republicans in both chambers, um, and w- with some Democratic support in both chambers. So it, the history of it matters. But it, yeah, at the time there was um, at the time actually the, the Democrats were in control of both houses, but the president usually the president relies on the whip of his own party if it's if there's his own party to get something through but at the time the whip David Bonnier who is the from Michigan who was the majority whip and Dick Gephardt was the majority leader and they were leading the opposition to it so we actually had to rely on Bill Richardson who was a deputy whip to essentially become the de facto whip to get it through the house and Tom Foley the speaker of the house got it with also worked to get it through but it really became I think the the opponents of NAFTA kind of made it establishment versus anti-establishment it was basically Pat Buchanan, it was Ralph Nader, it was Dick Gephardt, and they tried to make the case that this was somehow represented multinational corporations and the corporate elite. And I remember Bill Clinton had a, um, at one time, he had Jimmy Carter, Gerald Ford, and George H.W. Bush all stayed over at the White House, and the next day they all came out and talked about how they supported NAFTA. That's one hell of a sleepover. Jimmy Carter that year, that day, called Ross Perot, who was the chief opponent of it. He said, essentially, there's a demagogue running around this country. So it really was establishment versus anti-establishment, and the establishment won. Right. Yeah, and it, so, uh, and to that end, uh, Bill Clinton famously said in the, one of the meetings with uh, both the members of, of just the Democratic Party that were in favor, he said, we're all Eisenhower Republicans now. Yeah. Anyway, yep. uh, Dan Littner saying with you, this... This seems to be coming at a time where you've got, you know, the president up at the U.N. General Assembly just saying how great the world economy is because of him. But you counteract that with actual facts like you've got the South Korea drop in consumer prices. You've got the Reserve Bank of Australia cutting its interest rate to a new low, uh, which... You've got even world-renowned economists like Brian Colton saying uh, this is going to – we are at a point now where we could be facing uh, big trade policy disruptions as a result of the chaos politically that's happening in Washington, that's happening globally. Can the Republicans handle a, a – double punch or a double tap like a down economy and a possible impeachment? Well, so you have to break the Republican base down into a few groups. Um, The Wall Street Republicans that are some of which are still ecstatic about the free cash giveaway from the the Trump tax cuts. um, Yeah, those folks will feel some pain in their investments and and it, assuming they are actual capitalists, meaning they they their their money comes from making stuff for a living, um, yeah, uh, decline of 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 consumption is bad for them because um, again, you make stuff to sell stuff, and if nobody's buying stuff, you're in trouble. Um, then you have the religious right. Um, they're not necessarily a monolithic group. However, they are wildly disproportionately represented by true working people. And um, those folks 
if things take a downturn, they are pretty ripe to get hurt. Um, which leads to the question of whether or not Democrats can solicit them to over to their side while possibly disagreeing on on social issues. It's been done. Uh, uh, former Governor Sebelius uh, from Kansas, I believe, um, yep. she obviously was able to make a, a big dent in the in the place where literally what's the matter with Kansas was about. Uh, and then you have the wingnut nationalists, um, which Trump is, I'm comfortable saying they are truly Trump's base. Those folks don't leave. Not only do those folks not leave, those folks have been blaming everybody else from the international global Jewish conspiracy to every brown person that's in the country for their woes. Uh, those folks, thankfully, there aren't enough of them. Uh, unfortunately, they are heavily armed. Um, those folks don't leave, and those folks make an awful lot of noise, and uh, we, 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 we get strife that's dangerous. Alan Ward, is, is this a situation where the <clears throat> the America first, the isolationists might be correct in saying, look, you know, look at all of what's happening in South Korea, Australia, Europe, and yet our our numbers are still strong. Is there some play in this that says that maybe America first might be the right way to go? Well, the, the problem is that America simply cannot go alone. I mean, back when, when, when Trump first talked about America first, we had many discussions about what what exactly that meant. I said, you, you, you'll be hard put to find a presidential candidate who doesn't say, of course, America's first. The question is, what does that mean? How do you do it? And and do we go alone? It's not America alone. It's America first. But but and everybody else needs to be, you know, we, we need a, as big an alliance as we can find, whether it's economic, whether it's security. And of course, this president blew up um, both uh, economic and security uh, alliances early on, the, uh, tying his hands on on uh, uh, on the ability to deal with security concerns like Iran and 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 arguably North Korea um, uh, and and Syria, um, not totally tying his hands, but but reducing his ability for cooperation, and similarly on economic issues. By imposing tariffs on aluminum and steel, um, he immediately was in a confrontation with European manufacturers, with the Canadians, with the Mexicans, by insisting on, we're going to get rid of NAFTA or redo it. And, and I, I, I think the answer to that earlier question, Dan, by the way, is we're still operating under NAFTA. The president has the power to suspend it. He threatened to suspend it. He used that leverage to get the Canadians and the Mexicans to come to the table to uh, achieve a new agreement. But we're still trading that, under NAFTA. We're still trading. NAFTA is still in place. The president could, <laughs> could pull out. He has the power to, for us to pull out of, of NAFTA. Um, and that's kind of the, the pressure point for Democrats. Pass the new one, or you're going to force me to pull out of the old one. Right. Okay. We're going to take a break. Which is, by the way, <clears throat> We're insane. Do, yeah. <laughs> well, that hasn't stopped this president. Quid pro quo uh, is what we call that. Yeah, exactly. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk uh, Democrat election, uh, presidential election stuff here on Backroom Politics. Stay with us. Looking for my dime. 
Studio A in Podcast Village, Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C. This is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics with your host and moderator, Justin Russell. And we're back uh, for our last segment on this episode. Hey, by the way, you know, it it has been a really bad week for Republicans. Uh, I don't know if we mentioned on the last. You're not uh, allowed to insider trading? yeah, I, I, I mean, you've got all kinds of stuff happening here. You've got uh, Chris Collins, Republican congressman out of Western New York, who is just pled guilty, resigned from uh, resigned from uh, Congress this week, and then is also now going to jail, possibly after pleading guilty to insider trading. I, I think the real question there is: Is Trump so self obsessed? That he isn't seeing that one of his earliest backers, maybe he should get pardoned. It was his first backer. This, Chris yep. Collins was his, was number one, his number one. His number one. And Cunningham's in jail as well, isn't he? Well, no, no, it wasn't Cunningham. No, 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 this no. no. You're thinking of Duncan his Hunter. Still in Congress. You're thinking oh, of no, Duncan Hunter. About, I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm talking about Hunter. I'm sorry. Talking right. about Duncan Hunter. Right. Uh, but it's uh, which, by the way, his trial happens next year. Of course. Um, which, by the way, one Cunningham of my favorite. One though. of my favorite political facts for a, a criminal action. He used campaign funds to fly his rabbit from his <laughs> district. To Washington D.C. You know, if that using was using campaign only, funds, if that was the only time that's you awesome. brought that up, <laughs> if that is the only time you brought that up, I would say, wow, that is interesting. But at least three or four times, the monster is the bunny rabbit. Roosevelt bringing um, dog, his dog Fala. Just okay. Enough with the animals. No more animals. Okay. Let's, let's, you know, let's talk about twenty twenty. Pol- you let's you, you know about- why Trump doesn't have a pet, right? Why am I going to allow this? Because he couldn't figure out how to get one to sign an NDA. Do you hear the crickets? Go on, Justin. Do you hear the crickets? Do you hear the crickets? Hey, uh, 2020 (laughs) politics going on. Uh, In case you haven't noticed, and because it's been drowned out by uh, talk of impeachment and basically every day at around 4.50, more breaking news happens. But there is actually a primary going on with the... uh, the Democrats seeking the nomination for the White House in 2020. Uh, 
some interesting maneuvering happening over the past week. Uh, Biden is taking some hits. The question I have for you, Dan Littner, as a former Biden operative, it, it, there's actually two of them here. Number one, does every time they bring up Hunter and Joe Biden in this impeachment talk, does this just continue to beat down the chances that Joe Biden might be the nominee? And and two, can Joe Biden survive this? Um, surviving is the macro question, so I'm going to set that aside for a moment. Um, so you have one candidate in particular who is making her bones on clean government. And she's been fairly consistent throughout her political life, even before she was elected to the Senate. This is the Consumer Financial Services uh, Agency that basically being being there to guard the little guy. She's she's been fairly consistent. This is Elizabeth Warren. Right. Um, She was very careful when asked directly uh, about um, about uh, loved ones or family members. essentially making money off of their name while she was in office. Uh, she sort of, she, she hedged for a second. Uh, she said no, but then when she realized what the actual question was, she said, oh, well, I have to look into the issue a little bit more. Uh, she apparently missed that it was clearly uh, goading for an attack on Biden that she was unprepared to do. However, um, she sort of, point, she her position and where most Americans are, are and I think I'm comfortable saying all of us on the show here have seen lots of, uh, shall we say, challenging professional relationships that also have a political undertone. Uh, when all is said and done, uh, this is a city uh, that 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 makes its way on who let's, you know. Let's be clear about one so thing: Hunter- Joe Biden, Joe Biden, literally firewalled that whole thing with Hunter Biden as best he could. As, 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 as far as we know, that that answer is yes. And, and I am comfortable saying, from what I know personally about Joe <clears> Biden <throat> himself, that I, I there is no there there as far as Joe Biden being corrupt in any way, shape, or form. But, However, that's not to say that. Even the cleanest of clean don't trade on the names that they know. But Alan Moore, there's there's court of popular opinion and court of law. Court of popular opinion, Joe Biden's now down to maybe a three-point lead, at least within the margin of error on almost every poll coming out right now. Yeah, I, in my view, this uh, Ukraine business only hurts Joe Biden because what it does is it is it elevates more into this, brings out into the spotlight um, the challenges and problems that his son has had. Financial problems, problems with alcohol, drugs, drugs. and marriage. Right. And and it's not that Joe Biden, his, his, his father, who's devoted to him by every possible measure, um, would, would have overtly done something for him, but one could argue that the pre- that the vice president looked away when people around him were saying, "Mr. Vice President, this thing Hunter's doing in Ukraine, he shouldn't be doing this. It's, it looks really bad. There's an appearance of conflict." And by according to multiple reports, the the vice president was, "We're not going there. We're not going there." He he created this wall, but a wall isn't always in, in your person's best right. in, in the loved one's best interest right but it, it, can, it, can i just point yeah. out so there is the 
So there is the question of whether how much of an independent actor you're allowed to be. And when you have the last name Biden, especially if your dad is first senator and then uh, vice president, and this has been true in a lot of different fronts, and not just – this is a bipartisan issue – that simply your phone calls will get returned if you're the person making them. That doesn't necessarily mean your partner, the person who's made the fame for your name, did anything wrong. However, it can be implied that, well, this person wasn't be, wasn't helpful to me. So you can still be clean and still have an iffy relationship out Again, there. Again, there's, there's court of law and court of person, uh, public opinion. Alan Moore. Yeah, th- there's the... There's an extra problem here, and that is that the, what, what Dan says is absolutely true. There are people who are trying to trade on their family name, and 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 <laughs> brothers, sisters, children, spouses, ex-spouses have all uh, tried to use this, financial chairs, friends, and so on. What's unusual, though, here, and what's different, is that Hunter Biden went to Ukraine— to be part of something. He went to a foreign government that was in the middle of a whole a foreign country in the middle of a whole host of delicate issues with the US and Russia. And what what most people don't do and this was the only knock on on Biden is they don't go to the Ukraine and join a board run by a Russian billionaire who got that position by, you know, questionable means, shall we say. Call them oligarchs. And and one of Hunter Biden's business partners was the former son, was the son of former late Senator John Heinz, current stepson of John Kerry. Senator and Secretary of State. When when Hunter and a third partner of theirs decided to get involved, right. because I think the money was so big, Hines said, nope, I'm not doing it, and that will cause us to have to separate, uh, uh, right. break up our business. Right. And so Hunter Biden and a third guy, I think his name is Archer, um, decided – we're going. They both joined the board, and Heinz went a different direction. And that kind of decision, when you're dealing with foreign governments, is is a but, huge but, red back, flag back that causes to, a lot of people to ele- not do it. But back to the election, uh, Rich Rubino, it, it, it seems to me that uh, the impeachment could have almost two victims in this, that being Trump's re-election aspects and the possible uh, nomination to Joe Biden. Uh, Is there any sort of historical precedence to this, or do you even think that Joe Biden can recover from this kind of continuous barrage of bad news? Yeah, well, I mean, I will say that I think that there is a contrary opinion. I don't don't agree with it, but a contrary opinion would be that Joe Biden showed his political um, gravitas by showing that Donald Trump obviously fears him. He fears him for a reason because at least we don't know, for example, that he's gone that he's tried to do the same thing trying to get into, to about you know any other candidate specifically. So clearly, he does not want Joe Biden to get the nomination. But that being said, I think Joe, you know, there was a poll coming out of South Carolina today, still showing that he has that firewall of African American support, 
And I will say for Joe, for Joe Biden, in terms of African-American support, you know, that's what's in the, in the Democratic primary. That's what saved Jimmy Carter in 76. That's what saved Bill Clinton in 1990. Um, in 1992, it's what helped it helped, what helped Al Gore in 2000. It's what helped Hillary Clinton. It's what in 2016. It certainly helped Barack Obama in 2008. And that it subsided a little bit, but it is, it is certainly not. It has certainly um, not been a big factor in terms of attenuating. So I will say that that's one thing that he does have for benefit for. And the other thing is, as long as Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are both in the race, they 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 are siphoning off each other's you know the progressive bloodline of the, of the Democratic Party, allowing him to potentially take more center-left, more establishment Democrats. He still does well with labor unions. He still does well with older voters, kind of the old Hubert Humphrey coalition, I guess you will. But I will say that if polls start to show that his support in a general election matchup in some of the showdown states tends to attenuate, tends to wane a little bit in places like Michigan, Minnesota, Iowa, then his flagship issue which is essentially that is electable. I mean, Joe Biden even said, his wife, for example, that, you know, he may not be your first choice, but you look at these polls and essentially he's electable. And if that shows he's not electable, then the, then he's going to have to go on something like experience. He's going to then or potentially try to move to the left of Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, which I don't necessarily think will help him. But um, I don't think there's really been a precedent historically where a sitting president has gone after has gone after an opponent. It kind of inadvertently leaked, that leaked out, and then this is, then that landed up hurting it's, the it's, opponent. But you know, I do see the contrary view as well. well. But, but Dan so, Lipner. so this is one of those things, and I, I've been spending some time thinking about this uh, a fair amount since I am, I believe, the the, the most outward Democrat on on the show. Um, this could very well take Joe Biden out of, out of the race, and which would be unfortunate that his son could be the cause through no fault of uh, Vice President Biden's. Uh, own efforts. My big thing on this, and is that had Trump, and you can't disconnect these two because Hunter Hunter's issues were basically a secondary story floating on the background. There have been lots of those from family and friends of of both presidents and senators, members of the House. Most people don't care about um, that that have. have Iffy situations. If Joe Biden is taken out from this, yet Donald Trump survives, Donald Trump has gotten his wish. That's a problem. Um, so if they both go down because of it, while I still think it sucks for Joe Biden, so be it. However, if Trump manages to get a victory by getting Biden out of the race because of his actions, that's really a problem. Let me jump in on this, Dan, but correct me if I'm wrong, but it it appears to me that as established a politician and as established a political machine that Joe Biden, I guess I would expect him to have. He never had a political machine. You don't think so? There's a reason he spent 30 plus years in the Senate, and and his both both of his previous presidential runs were train wrecks. I mean, was it, was this just getting caught flat-footed, or was is it their ability to not deflect or come up with something that stops the hemorrhaging in the poll numbers? So, uh, so uh, they're not hemorrhaging that bad. However, each time the story about Hunter, uh, there. It's all challenging. Hunter's background is is challenging at best, and I generally have a pretty strong rule about keeping family right, a, out but, of the but fray. It, but again, you know, I would have thought that that 
campaign would have done at least a better job to at least try and find some way to deflect, but it, I guess it's hard when it includes your okay, son. Okay, well, in, in which case, let me say with clarity. So, Bo Biden, now deceased, the former attorney general from Delaware, who is truly a, a tragic loss, not only for the, the, the vice president, but for the country. Bo was... I, I honestly had never seen anything like it, and I worked for a Bill Clinton and I worked for a Joe Biden. Bo Biden was a ball of energy that people just loved. I had women pulling me aside, asking me if he was single, uh, to which I promptly said, wife, two kids, um, and then went back to my office. You and, said, but I'm single. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and I, I promptly passed a, a, a rule in my office saying uh, no female staffers would ever staff him alone. My female staffers said, oh, but he's so cute. And like, and that would be why. Not that I ever had a even an inkling of an issue with him. I was just worried that somebody would see, get a inopportune photo of like holding a door or something, and somebody would suggest something illicit. Right. Um, Hunter Biden... Uh, as well as again, I'm, I'm hesitant to go too too deep into this. And don't. But, there, but there, again, there, 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 it was all, always known that Joe Biden is wildly protective of his family. So. Bo Biden was front and center. He was an active politician. He was engaged in the process. He was vocal but, for his dad. Let me go back to the original question. Jill is Biden damage, was front is, and center as well. Is the damage done? That was done? not Hunter, and that was not Ashley Biden. That, that's fine, but is the damage done? Going back to the topic. So, I mean, it, the answer is maybe. I mean, it is now goes into a question of the decency of the American people and how good um, he, how good he can try and deflect uh, this. I'm not certain. It's that's really a question he can. Answer um, the 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 whether or not people cut a break, whether or not they uh, d- define Billy Carter with Jimmy Carter, and yep. uh, and there and there was a difference. Whether or not uh, Neil Bush reflected the entirety of the Bush family, uh, whether or not Ronald Reagan's kids and their issues but, re- reflected on on the Reagans themselves. The, these are all questions that are asked. But, but let, me, let me let me put it this way. It, it, it strikes me that a simple, you know, you want to take a swipe at my son, you got to go through me. This is about you and me. Keep it about you and me. And I suspect that will be uh, when we push comes to shove. That. Well, he's tried. He, he, he's, he's tried. He's, but but he's going to have to be more vocal about it, right. it and it's but, an uncomfortable position. When, when he tries to do that, this, <laughs> this president thinks... Ooh, I'm under his skin. Keep pushing, keep pushing. We've, we're talking about Ukraine and the unfortunate, unfortunate image there, and 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 the and the appearances problem. He also Hunter did when the president, uh, when the vice president was 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 serving, took a big trip to China. Hunter asked to join because he was trying to do some deals in China. He went along on that trip, and to the embarrassment of his staff, uh, the vice president's staff, started had, a couple, had a couple of business meetings while he was with his father in China. I mean, there was a judgment thing here in both cases, because this, this stuff, uh, it, that you, when you do it overseas, everybody gets nervous, and the, pre- and the vice president arguably had a blind spot. You asked the question earlier, is there anybody else that we can think of in modern times where a family member really did, did damage to them? And many of us believe that, that candidate Hillary Clinton would, be, would have been president, but for numerous things, including the, the albatross that her husband 
uh, Bill Bill was to her candidacy by the time she ran. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Go ahead, Rich Rubino. I was just going to say, no, there's a perfect example of that, and that was in South Carolina when they asked Bill Clinton um, how, you know, why, why, why Barack Obama is doing so well with African Americans, and he specifically said, he said, well, you know, well, Jesse Jackson won here in, 20, in, two, in 1984 1988, basically assuming that all African Americans were going to go with the African American candidate anyways, and that just incensed a lot of African Americans in South Carolina, and a lot of them then defected to Barack Obama. Is... is... Is there an Amy Klobuchar or a Pete Buttigieg that's kind of waiting in the wings to kind of pounce and hoping that, I mean, right now we're starting to see a lot of uh, the major ones that are falling, except for Elizabeth Warren, she seems to be maintaining, but we're seeing Sanders drop a little bit. We're seeing a huge drop with with Biden from a nine-point lead now down to a three-point lead. Uh, is is does, is there somebody in the Democratic Party that can take advantage of this in the next few weeks, like a Buttigieg, a Klobuchar, or a Harris? Well, worth noting, um, there's always a natural tightening that occurs. Most people had absolutely no idea who anyone was prior to the campaign getting going. That's why you run campaigns. Uh, Mayor Pete, I, I would challenge anyone to have known who Mayor Pete was before he announced he was running for president. Um, and to his credit, his numbers have actually been pretty solid. I don't, Unfortunately for him, they've been pretty solid, not moving up nor down. Yeah, um, they maintain around 8 9%. Bernie has gotten worn old because there's only so many times you can you can hear that voice shouting into don't, the microphone don't and i'm not going to do it because because uh, bernie has basically begun to annoy me uh and that's been going on for a while just so watch saturday your, night live from the other night you yeah can get, it, it, you it's can bernie um it, it, it it's it's all accurate and uh, elizabeth warren has been the most steady and with a steady upward trend uh and that's probably the most interesting. And she's more and more I see it, the more and more she is looking like the nominee. That's what a presidential candidate campaign looks like, a steady right. upward trend. There are so few candidates that that run wire to wire to be the, the nominee. Uh, even Trump was a was nothing before he announced and everyone thought it was a joke and most of us wish it still was um the presidential races i mean Kerry was behind uh, un- yep. until uh there there was the appearance of the literally the man he pulled out of the water in his swift boat in vietnam showed up in in, in iowa and nobody saw that coming as well as the the mutual defense pact to to kill Dean, and that's where Richard Gephardt uh, threw everything he had at Dean for no other reason than to kill Dean. Didn't help Gephardt, right. but it did kill Dean. And so it, it, it it's hard to see. Um, but with a candidates with the money to go forward, I mean, the billionaires create a, a Steyer's money out there creates an interesting window. I don't think he'll catch on because he's not telegenic and not doesn't sound good ever. Around the horn, I know it's easy, but just from looking at everything, is there a path forward for Biden, Alan Moore? Uh, I, I I fear not. Rich Rubino? Yes, there's absolutely a path forward as long as Warren and Bernie Sanders are both in the race, and as long as those polls 
so that he's still winning in these swing states in the general election. And as long as African-Americans stay with him, um, there is absolutely a precedent and a path for that. Dan Lipner? Uh, I think the answer is yes, but he could be a bruised nominee by the time we get to the convention. And let me also go on the record right now. Uh, it is nonsense that, th- and this is for either party, when people talk about bruising the nominee on the way to, on the way to the convention, on the way to the nomination, that that just hurts them in the general. Yeah, part of the reason we do this is to figure out who can take a punch and who can't. So you run yeah, this, and I'd rather well get that I, I, for I'd, the Republicans. I'd rather get those hits out early yeah. and find out who can survive them. But let's remember how much damage Bernie Sanders, for example, did to Hillary Clinton. Right. And, that and that is, didn't go away. So, right. so the the damage that 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 Bernie did, and that's it, it, that's worth worth addressing. It it, it was a well, thing. You got about ten seconds. It, to no, it it. it it was a thing. There's also Russian influence there, but it it was a thing. But Bernie was a fundamental game changer outside of politics by going after like things. Ross anyway, similar. Yeah, yeah similar. All right, uh, Rich Rubino, Dan Lipner. Alan Ward, thank you very much. Uh, as always, uh, Eric the Producer, out doing Eric the Producer type things. Uh, Charlie Burney, our host here at Podcast Village, thank you very much. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. You can follow us on Instagram as well. You can also follow us or download us as your favorite podcasts on Apple, Google, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, you name it, we're everywhere. We're kind of a big deal. Hey, by the way, have a great week, America. We'll see you next time.